Today on Ag News Daily. So there's that as well. We're really seeing it used well for in uh, in drip irrigation, where you can't use manure straight out of the flush into drip irrigation because of the solids in there. So when we remove all of those solid particles. Good afternoon and welcome to a Tech Tuesday installment of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr all by my lonesome today as Delaney is doing some post-holiday traveling. So hopefully she gets home to Iowa safely. But for now, we have some things to talk about. And the first thing that I wanted to bring up today was a recap from the Biden administration's announcement yesterday talking about competition in meat and poultry sectors of the ag industry. The Biden administration said yesterday that the lack of competition in the meat and poultry sectors is hurting consumers, producers, and the economy. In fact, President Biden said that the current market system is distorted. The administration released their action plan for a fairer, more competitive, and more resilient meat and poultry supply chain yesterday. President Biden also said that processors or the middlemen currently control too much of the supply chain and producers have paid the price. He was quoted as saying 50 years ago, ranchers got over 60 cents for every dollar a family spent on beef. Today, they get about 39 cents. 50 years ago, hog farmers got 40 to 50 cents for each dollar spent. Today, it's only about 19 cents. The administration has now pledged $1 billion in American Rescue Plan funds towards expansion of processing capacity. We also heard from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, and he says that innovation is needed. He says that we're going to need new business models. We're going to need new ways of innovation and technology to create greater efficiencies. And small and mid-sized facilities need to have the opportunity to have this innovation as opposed to the big four. Vilsack says that expanding processing capacity only benefits the industry if there is also a trained workforce. $100 million of this resource is going to be used to support them to create a pipeline of well-trained and experienced workers. So that's just what we saw from the administration yesterday, really trying to promote competition in the meat industry. I'm excited to see, you know, what this money is used towards, if this plan is actually effective and efficient. And so I am definitely putting this on my, you know, top 10 things to look out for in 2022. But another thing that I was looking out for today in particular is coming out of Chile. Four beekeepers were detained after protesting in front of Chile's presidential palace in Santiago yesterday. Seven police officers were stung during these demonstrations, which I think was the one of the main reasons that um, they were arrested. But honey production has been hurt by a long-term drought in Chile that has withered the bees' food sources like flowers and other crops. While drought, of course, is not uncommon in Chile, the current mega drought that they're going through has persisted since 2010, and scientists are saying that climate change is at least partly to blame. So these beekeepers want government reform to improve honey prices or to provide subsidies to honey producers. They have asked to meet with with the Chilean president, but I am not sure if that meeting is going to occur. 
these beekeepers set around 60 beehives, which contained an estimated 10,000 bees on the avenue in front of the presidential palace. One of the beekeepers told local reporters that the drought in the Kalina commune north of Santiago was killing the local bee population. So they are pretty up in arms about what's going on, you know, just because of the drought, climate change, honey prices. So there is quite a bit going on down there. But I thought it was an interesting story because we don't really hear a whole lot about that sector of the industry. Of course, people have been talking for a a long time now about, you know, save the bees. But it feels like uh, Chile is hurting a little bit more than maybe some other, you know, key bee producing parts of the world. Moving back over to the U.S. here, I have an update coming from the USMCA. Dairy tariff rate quotas have been a point of contention since the U.S. reached an agreement with Canada over the dairy portion of this agreement. And just over a year and a half since this new agreement went into effect, the U.S. has won its first challenge over dairy. We saw from U.S. Trade Representative Tai that the U.S. prevailed in its first dispute settlement panel proceeding brought under the agreement. The panel concluded that Canada is breaching its USMCA commitments by, quote, reserving most of the end quota quantity in its dairy tariff rate quotas for the exclusive use of Canadian processors. After the ruling, Ty was quoted as saying that enforcing our trade agreements and making sure they benefit American workers and farmers is a top priority for the Biden-Harris administration. That is why this administration filed the first ever panel request under the USMCA. This historic win will help eliminate unjustified trade restrictions on American dairy products and will ensure that the U.S. dairy industry and its workers get the full benefit of the USMCA to market and sell U.S. products to Canadian consumers. The dispute panel issued its ruling to both the U.S. and Canada on December 20th, and Canada now has 45 days from then to comply the ruling. While the U.S. says that yesterday's announcement is a win for us, Canada says that this is a victory for them as well. The Trade and Agriculture Ministries released a state saying Canada has, quote, taken note of the panel's finding regarding Canada's practice of reserving TRQ pools for the use of dairy processors and takes its commitments and obligations under the international agreement seriously. Canadian leaders said that the panel's ruling expressly recognizes the legitimacy of Canada's supply management system and confirmed that the country has the discretion to manage its TRQ allocation policies that supports Canada's supply management system. My stories today have been a bit long, so I'm going to end things here on a shorter note with a piece of news coming from ADM. This piece of news came out on the 31st, on December 31st, while Delaney and I were taking a little bit of a hiatus from the podcast. So not super timely, but definitely something that I still wanted to talk about as it concerns ADM. The company is seeking to move and dismiss a lawsuit that claims the company manipulated the ethanol market. ADM has officially asked a federal court in Nebraska to dismiss the lawsuit filed by Great Plains Incorporated and for a change of venue. The new lawsuit that was filed in October alleges that ADM conducted a scheme to illegally depress the ethanol market beginning in November 2017 and harmed Green Plains' bottom line. 
Green Plains claims it suffered damages through lost profits, a diminishment in future earning capacity, reputational harm, impairment of business relationships, and consequential losses. ADM argues the same claims have been made in multiple courts that have already been dismissed and that Green Plains didn't list any specific contracts that ADM interfered with. Now, back in August, a district court in Illinois dismissed a similar lawsuit that argued the same claims, and the court ruled Green Plains did not have standing to sue under the Commodity Exchange Act. So what's going to happen from here? Not quite sure. Perhaps it will get dismissed as the cases before this one have been, but only time will tell. But now, folks, it is that time where we chat markets here. So I'm going to jump right into things here with the corn contract. The front month up 20 and a quarter to close at 609 and a half. The May contract closing 18 and a half cents higher at 609 and a half. In soybeans, the January contract up 34 and three quarter cents to close at 13.78 and three quarters. The March up 34 and a quarter to close at 13.89 and three quarters. Heading over into Kansas City wheat, the March closed 12 and a half cents higher at 8.04, and the May contract closed again at 12 and a half cents higher at 8.04 and three quarters. Heading over into livestock, not great news here for cattle. These markets were affected negatively, you know, because of high corn prices today. But the February live cattle contract down a dollar and ten cents goes at one thirty seven oh two and a half. The April down a dollar fifty two and a half to close at one forty two sixty seven and a half. In feeder cattle, the front month contract down $3.57 and a half cents to close at 162.67 and a half. The March down $3.17 and a half cents to close at 166.35. Mixed trade and lean hogs here as the February contract is down 97 and a half cents to close at 80.15. The April up 35 cents to close at 87 flat. Closing things out with our class three dairy milk futures. The January contract up 66 cents to close at 2069. The February up 75 cents to close at 2179. Now, with that, I'm going to head over to our conversation with livestock water recycling for our Tech Tuesday segment. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday and our first Tech Tuesday of the year, I know I keep talking about the new year, but I am just going to beat that dead horse until we kind of move on to our second week of 2022. But we are talking about livestock water recycling with Karen Schuett, who is the co-founder and CEO of LWR. Karen, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Karen, before we really get started talking about the system, the benefits, those fun things, let's talk a little bit about you because you are a co-founder of the company. So you have quite the history there. Absolutely. My co-founder and I have worked together actually for over 25 years uh, in water treatment. We've been doing wastewater treatment for many, many years. Before we started with livestock water recycling, we worked on hydrocarbon contaminated sites, working on extracting and removing any hydrocarbon from groundwater. And so we had a ton of experience, a real breadth of experience in wastewater treatment and 
and removing, um, you know, useful substances from water and reusing them before we ever came to the livestock space. So now that we know a little bit more about you and your history, let's get into the company here because I think what you guys are doing is very interesting. So why don't we kind of take a dive into that? Sure. So, I mean, just just gathering on uh, from where we came from, um, starting in that wastewater treatment, we looked at livestock water and water on livestock lands as a really good opportunity to generate value from a waste product. We really looked at that and thought, okay, these farms have a lot of value here in fertilizers, in natural biomass for energy production. There's a real opportunity trapped in those lagoons. And we wanted to find a way that we could use technology to bring that value to the farms. You know, just add a little bit of technology onto a farm and then say, how can that then create more revenue for the farms, more opportunity? for them instead of creating waste that is just difficult for them to deal with, difficult for them to live with, you know, tiresome uh, really for them to, to deal with on a daily basis. And it's, you know, always there with livestock. So it's uh, something that they need to, to deal with through 365 days a year. And as we just finished the holiday season here, uh, I think about our livestock farms that are working around the clock, 365 days a year. And we really wanted to give them some technology to deal with that. So let's talk about the system because from your website, it seems pretty simple to use. So why don't we talk a little bit more about that and how farmers can really use the LWR system to benefit their operation? Excellent. Yeah, we really like to talk about our value proposition for farms uh, when we talk to them. Originally, talking to a livestock farm, we will just dig into what their costs are right now for manure management and how we can improve that or what value we can create for them. So what we have is a technology platform. It's just a skid mounted system, very simple. We um, install it on farm and it receives the liquids before they ever go to a lagoon. So straight out of a flush system on a, on a dairy farm or straight out of any sort of barn um, manure removal, removal system that they've got in place. We work in dairy and hog production as well as beef production. And then also after anaerobic digesters, if we want to pull any value out of that digestate liquid. We go on farm, the, the treatment system is installed and then it runs 22 hours a day, 365 days a year. The other two hours it self cleans and self flushes. And we're trying to make it, we're, you know, we're working with our farm clients to make it as easy as possible for them to use and have as minimal input by their um, farm operators to uh, work on the equipment. That's our constant goal is striving to make it create more value and be easier to use. Uh, what it creates is two different types of fertilizers, a concentrated liquid and a concentrated solid fertilizer, pulling out all of the valuable NPK, uh, you know, fertilizers that farms want, and then clean potable water. So I, I want to talk about the water and really what it's used for. Do farmers or ranchers, whoever you're working with, typically keep that water, reuse it on the farm, sell it off? What really happens there? 
all those things. Uh, you're exactly right. Um, our dairy farms will use that again as flush. And so they can have a really clean flush, which can cut down on any sort of, um, you know, a bacteria transmission in the in the farms themselves, in the flush lanes, have really clean flush, really good for the health of their animals, which of course, all of our farms are looking for the best health and, and um, environment for the animals that live there. So having a really clean flush system, they also use it for, of course, irrigation and any areas where we're seeing drought, we really want to recycle as much of that clean water as possible to irrigate. Um, we can also use it for cooling systems where, you know, some of our areas that are drought ridden often have really hot weather and they need cow cooling systems. So there's that as well. We're really seeing it used well for in, uh, in drip irrigation, where you can't use manure straight out of the flush into drip irrigation because of the solids in there. So when we remove all of those solids, particles. You've got a really good liquid for drip irrigation, you know, really efficient use of water in our drought-ridden areas. So, you know, a multitude of, of uses. Everyone, of course, can use clean water in, in a million ways on a farm for, for washing and cleaning. So it's, it's a real good benefit. As well, we're seeing all that solid that we pull out being used to really good value. Um, our farms are, you know, the original entrepreneurs um, so they are putting that to good use, uh, selling that biomass into the RNG network and, you know, renewable natural gas. They're, they're creating energy from that. You don't often think of a livestock farm as an energy producer, but now we're seeing that, you know, producing really um, uh, responsible energy, renewable energy, and then also reusing those nutrients so that they have a really good natural precision applied fertilizer on their crops, uh, their feed crops. It's really important to get that water and then also that nutrient back to their feed crop production. So Karen, you make some points there that I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into and really what we're seeing now, you know, things are changing on the farm, consumers are changing on what kind of products they want to buy from, you know, certain kinds of farms, those kinds of things. So where do you see LWR going in the next five to 10 years based on consumer needs or based on what farms are really changing towards? That's such a good question and a really good point to be made is that we really want to respond to what consumers want to buy. And of course, our, our livestock farms are really, um, you know, trying to respond to that by producing the most responsible protein in the world. Uh, you know, all of our farms are producing sustainable protein for growth on the planet. We, we know that that protein consumption is going to, um, you know, be be counted on as the population grows, and so livestock producers need to produce more protein uh, to respond to the need in the market, but do it in a way that is very environmentally uh, conscious. Um, you know, farms are are the stewards of our land, and they are definitely all environmentalists. So we really want them to be able to have the technology at their disposal to 
produce sustainable protein for the growth of, of the planet. Um, when, when we look at that, we see that real circular economy on farms. So they're producing livestock, which then of course produce manure. And with that manure, then we, we see we can do renewable natural energy, we can produce natural fertilizers, and then we can recycle all of the water going through there so that they there's nothing lost there's just everything gained in those processes so a real good circular economy that's environmentally focused and of course focused on the best quality environment for the animals to grow and um, produce the most but also be the healthiest and and happiest on their land i mean it's a win-win across the board when we really just apply a small amount of technology to an age-old problem which is manure well karen if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about livestock water recycling where can they find you guys at online uh, definitely just look on our website, uh, www.livestockwaterrecycling.com. Um, we have a ton of great events coming up and we're really uh, focused right now on our Carbon X Prize application. We have applied for the X Prize as our work on our farms sequesters so much carbon. We reduce the carbon impact of livestock farms by up to 82%. So in that, we're trying to get that message across that processing manure in this way can really reduce the, the greenhouse gas impact of livestock and get a really sustainable product out to the market. Um, so you'll see us talking about our XPRIZE application all over on, on our YouTube channel as well and on our social media. And then we're also presenting at World Ag Expo in California next month. So um, we're all over the place, but please join the into our website and get updates on where we're going next. Awesome. Well, Karen, once again, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us for our Tech Tuesday episode this week. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me here. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again there to Karen for coming on and talking about LWR. I thought it was fairly interesting. You know, the more we figure out about technologies, I think the more we save money, the more products we get, the more use we get out of things such as water and other resources. But folks, if you want to learn more, you can visit that website there. And while you're at it, you can also visit the Ag News Daily website at agnewsdaily.com to find more episodes of the podcasts. With that, I'm going to let the people go.